we're in this re- really interesting moment, which is you see that more than ever before, a lot of our fights are intergenerational. We need every generation in the fight. That means that we need older people in the fight, but we also more than ever before need young people in the fight. And welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Last week when we talked about Michigan, we got into the importance of the youth vote, how the youth in America really have the opportunity to change the state of politics and how they're starting to realize it. In the 2014 midterms, only 13% of young people aged 18 to 29 voted in the election. And in case you don't remember, the result of that election were that liberal representatives and progressive values were absolutely decimated. We handed the Senate over to Mitch McConnell, who basically shut down anything Obama wanted to do in his last two years, including installing a Supreme Court justice. The youth vote picked up for the 2016 presidential election, coming in at around 39%. But as we would all discover, the country we thought was moving forward was okay with a candidate who literally ran on the idea of taking the country back. And as horrible as the Trump years were, I think it woke the country up. Suddenly, a lot more of us realized what was at stake, including democracy itself. By the 2018 midterms, the youth turnout was up to 28%. And by the time we got to the 2020 elections, young people were voting at 50%, an 11-point increase from 2016. Trump wasn't winning again on their watch. Now, while the youth didn't quite live up to its 2018 standard in the 2022 midterms, they voted at a very respectable 23%. And it was their vote, especially in Michigan, where the youth vote came out at a whopping 37%, that is credited with putting the kibosh on the Republicans' anticipated red wave. Which is why GOP state legislatures are now introducing a whole new wave of restrictions. Republicans understand the youth of America are not with them. They are not with their regressive and judgmental laws. That they don't want to be told what they can read or say or love. That they don't want to be shot in their schools or live on a dying planet. Quite frankly, the majority of the country's youth have no interest in making America great again. They recognize that there was never a point in the American past where things were great for everyone. So they are looking forward to seek something better which is why those who would prefer we go back are trying so hard to shut them down. To talk about this today, our pod is a conversation with Victor Shi. Victor is the co-host of iGen Politics, the host of On the Move with Victor Shi, the strategy director for Voters of Tomorrow, a columnist for Resolute Square, and a current student at UCLA. Victor was also elected as the youngest delegate for Joe Biden, has interned at the White House, and has worked on presidential, state, and local elections. Lately, you've probably seen him all over your TV, representing the youth voice on every cable network in the country. This is a busy guy and an incredibly impressive young man. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, organizer, writer, speaker, and Gen Z activist, Victor Shi. Welcome, Victor. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. I've done your pod on the move, but this is the first time you've joined us, so I'm really thrilled. I'm so excited and and you know, you you do such an amazing job. It's so hard to put things into context and to make people understand all of the policies that are going on right now. That's such a hard thing to be able to do and I thank you for all that you do. 
listen, you know, politics has been made complicated on purpose. It's deliberate to keep us out of the conversation. So, you know, what we're both doing, trying to make people understand and allowing people into the conversation will only help America. So we're going to talk a lot today about Gen Z and the power of Gen Z. But I also don't want to negate the power of the other generations who in many ways are working really hard to save the future for you and whoever comes after you. You know, historically, older generations don't really listen to younger generations. Just before my time, and even partially in my time, there was kind of this father knows best, listen to your elders, you'll understand better when you're grown kind of pat pat on the head way of looking at the youth. Like we didn't really know anything and we would understand better and become more conservative as we got older. But I don't think people think that way anymore. You know, I think that people are far more able today to recognize the power of the youth. And maybe that's because our world has become so deeply entrenched in tech that older people often have to look at younger people to explain things to them in a way we never had to do before. Or the fact that your generation just grew up in this always connected computer-based world that many of us are still trying to play catch up in. But for whatever reason, I don't think young people are as easily dismissed as they used to be. And we're seeing the power of young people in politics in a way that we haven't really seen since the 60s and 70s. The youth really do have the power to change the conversation, to change how it all works. But we need to make sure that you guys understand your power, you harness your power, and us, the older generations, help support your power. Absolutely. And and I think you nailed it on the head, which is, I mean, when you look at historical trends of, you know, youth voter turnout, it's traditionally lagged a lot behind older generations. I think that's part of the reason why maybe older generations sort of ignored, cast aside, um, overlooked the youth vote. But starting in 2018, that really started changing. And you saw young people really rise to the occasion, go to the ballot box in record numbers that continued throughout 2020, when you saw more than half of young voters turn out again in 2022. And then just a few weeks ago in Wisconsin, you saw young people turn out like never before. So we're in this really interesting moment, which is you see that more than ever before, a lot of our fights are intergenerational. We need every generation in the fight. That means that we need older people in the fight, but we also more than ever before need young people in the fight. And I think Democrats and people are starting to understand that because there is a real power to our voice at the ballot box. And we've seen the increased youth turnout. And I think that's why a lot of people are starting to pay attention to young people. And in 2024, only that urgency is going to increase because uh, youth, uh, I guess, Gen Zers and millennials will make up the largest voting demographic out of any kind of demographic. And so it's going to be a real moment in 2024. But like you said, it's going to take all generations coming together. It's not just kind of a political moment where you can only rely on older voters anymore. You have to have younger voters, I'm sure. We can talk about how we can best engage and mobilize them later on. It's an all hands on deck moment. Like this isn't one generation working against another generation. Or yeah. You guys should do this and we did that and you blew this and, you know, you should fix that. Yeah. I really think it's us all coming together who believe in American democracy, who believe in the power of the rule of law, who believe that our voices should be heard and the rights of the people should be respected. I think that that's an all generational thing. It's in many ways, I think it's my generation's job to keep the country's head above water until you guys have enough leaders to really take over. But I do think us working all together is so essential. I mean, I know that a lot of the right-wing talking points, a lot of people are saying that your generation is just brainwashed, you know, by your liberal professors or the mainstream media, as if your generation even listens to the mainstream media. But I firmly believe that younger generations are very clear-eyed about what they want. You guys want to deal with climate change and gun violence. You want to protect your reproductive rights and choices over your own bodies and your lives. These just happen to be the things that one party consistently stands on the wrong side of. And I think that's why what you're saying is that 
young people are turning out in these record numbers to vote for Democrats. And I don't even think it's Democrats that they're obsessed with. It's yeah. they're obsessed with freedom and human rights. And only one party reflects that. Well, isn't that so kind of disturbing and telling that we're in this political moment where we aren't even debating issues like real policy issues. We're talking about fundamental rights and our democracy. And for young people, it's like we grew up during a time when the right to an abortion was basically a guarantee. This summer was the first time that um, young women, young young guys in my generation saw that right literally get overturned because of, of Supreme Court. And so we now live in this world where more than young, more than ever before, young people know how fragile these rights are, know how fragile these fundamental rights that we care about are. And across the country, the response to that isn't to protect our rights by Republicans in Republican states across the country, Florida, Georgia, I mean, Texas, you see this. I mean, the, the response is to take away more of our rights, to make it harder for us to live our lives just in a basic, fundamental way. And I think for a lot of young people, no matter where you come from, we realize that because this is what's happening right before our own eyes. Every young person pretty much goes to school. Every young person has to read books. And the Republican response to that is to try to limit what we can do in the classroom and limit what type of rights we have. And so I think you have this kind of such, you have such a clear contrast between what Republicans and Democrats are doing. Like you said, you have one party that is actively trying to strip away just core fundamental things that we care about. And another party that isn't just willing to defend them, but they're also delivering on a lot of the policy issues that we care about. So it is, I think, just such a clear contrast between the two. And so when Republic, so when young people are faced with that choice, the natural response is to vote for Democrats and the party that actually cares. But um, it's sad that we live in this moment where we have one party that just does not care about the uh, things that young people care about. Well, it's sad that we live in a moment where one party doesn't care about what any of us care about. I mean, you don't have yeah, to be young. Yeah. You said that you grew up in a time where your entire generation has always expected the right to your own body to belong to you. I'm in my 40s and I've always had that. Yeah, There's never yeah. been a time where my rights weren't respected. And so it's the same for all of us. They've turned over 50 years of precedent. So any of us who are right. within that realm it's changed how we fundamentally function. 61% of voters aged 18 to 24 and 65% of voters aged 25 to 29 voted for Democrats in the midterms. And young women yeah. in particular, understandably, voted at 72% for Democrats, right? Because it's not really hard to figure out why. You know, do we vote for the forced birthers or do we vote for the people who will give us rights over our own bodies? That shouldn't be a question. These are not things we should be debating. This isn't policy choice. This isn't a tax rate of 25 or 27 percent. This is do you have the right to your own person or do you not? Right. And that seems quite obvious. It is definitely. And, and that's one of the things that we ask time and time again. I'm with a group called Voters of Tomorrow. One of the things we talk a lot about with our fellow peers is, you know, they might have complaints about the Democratic Party. They might say, you know, the Democratic Party, um, sometimes it doesn't reflect our interests. But at the end of the day, if you ask them which party they will trust to protect their rights and their freedoms, overwhelmingly the choice is the Democratic Party. And I think now more than ever before, I mean, elections are all about a choice. It's about a choice between a party that cares and a party that doesn't care, a party that will protect your freedom and a party that won't protect your freedom. And I think come time to vote, you saw this in 2022 and also uh, previous elections, come time to vote, I think young people realize that. You're seeing the Republican Party in the House vote against so many pieces of legislation. You see them voting against the Inflation Reduction Act. You see them voting against just basic common sense gun reform legislation. Now that they're in power, they refuse to do anything about those issues. And so for young people who are looking at you know, what this Republican Party is doing and, and trying to find uh, whether or not there's even a reason or, or a possibility that we can vote for them, there is none because they're, they're showing us in broad daylight what they're trying to do. And it's really 
telling, I think. Your generation is the most educated, the most critically thinking, the most self-aware generation in American history. And I'll just say the most diverse as well. Yes, the most diverse. I mean, and obviously you can see the writing on the wall. You can see the direction we're heading isn't good. And you're not willing to give the Republican Party the benefit of the doubt that some older generations have. You know, you're not deciding that they're both operating in good faith, that they're both sides, you know, two sides of the same coin. You, as you said, the voters of tomorrow might be like, well, the Democrats have their problems. And yet one party is on the fast track to authoritarianism, to Christian nationalism. They're fully embracing bigotry, xenophobia, homophobia, racist behaviors. And the majority of the American youth who grew up with everything from will and grace to euphoria, you know, wants nothing to do with that. That does not reflect the America they know or the America that they want. I can see why the Republicans are terrified of you guys in some ways, because I don't think they understand that the young are not caught up in supporting the Democrats. They are caught up in supporting the party that respects freedom and human rights. They don't want politicians deciding their lives. They don't want them in their doctor's offices or marital beds. They don't want them telling them who they can get married to or if they have to be married at all. This isn't a youth thing. It's a pretty standard American freedom thing. I mean, a don't tread on me thing. And yet... One party is completely against that. Exactly. And and one of the things I think is so important to understand about Generation Z is when you look at polling, when you look at kind of where Generation Z stands, this is a generation that doesn't really affiliate with a specific political party. So th- more than ever before, you, you, you'll see that a lot of young people will say that they're either independents or they don't really affiliate with a political party. And the reason why is because this generation is more motivated by issues and values. And you see that even in beyond politics with, you know, which company we work for, which, um, where, which profession we enter, who we choose to work with. Those are things that really matter kind of inherently to this generation. When you look at politics, at least to the polls, there are three biggest issues that young people care about. First is the access to reproductive rights. Like you said, in 2022, that was the biggest motivator for young people turning out to vote. The second value is just being safe from gun violence, being able to know that we will be um, safe and we don't have to go to school fearing whether or not we um, will be gunned down because of uh, a mass shooting. Um, And then the third thing is climate change. And so really making sure that our future is protected, knowing that our planet is going to be protected from uh, increasing global disasters. And so for this generation, those are the three values and issues that we care a lot about. And whether or not you know, a political party supports them, that's to their own detriment, but we will support the candidates in the party that actually aligns with those values. And I think that's what you're seeing, kind of the alignment happening between Gen Zers and Democrats, because Democrats are the ones that are actually aligning with Gen Zers on those values, and Republicans just aren't, and they're kind of running against every single one of those. You touched on guns there. I mean, let's talk about the guns. I mean, this gun crisis in America is out of control, right? The Second Amendment has always been a big issue in this country. But in the past 20 years, I mean, probably the entire time you've been alive, it's become an intolerable situation. And the younger generations had to deal with it almost every single day of your lives. I mean, you guys don't even have a memory of a time where kids weren't getting blown away in school and there weren't mass shootings every day. And I have to tell you, I remember those days and it was way better. I mean, keep in mind, I was born and raised in Canada where we just don't have mass shootings because we don't have free for all guns. So it is ridiculously obvious what the problem is, that the problem is guns. And yet we're still banging our heads against the wall to do anything about it when over 80 percent of the country wants the same thing, which is to deal with the problem. I mean, it's such a uniquely American problem. And I'm sure you know, coming from Canada, just what... 
a, a disturbing reality this is that America, the only reason why we're in this situation is because we haven't dealt with the root cause, which is the guns. But for young people who have to live in this reality, um, the one thing that unifies a lot of young people, because no matter where you come from, no matter which party you might affiliate yourself with, no matter which candidate you support, at the end of the day, young people have to live with mass shooter drills. We have to, at, at least for me, I, I was um, born in Illinois and, and every semester we would have at least one um, shooting drill where we would have to go through and, and hide away in the uh, classroom and make sure that we couldn't see the window because that if we saw the window, then the um, shooter could also see us. And so it's just chilling and it's a generation that's traumatized by this type of violence. And it is just so tiring, like you said, for this generation to see time and time again, a shooter going into a school, a shooter gunning down a grocery store. I mean, where in America could you actually go that's safe anymore? And it's just scary and it puts all of us on edge. But for this generation that had to grow up with this, I think it's why you're seeing the response to this so kind of intensely. I mean, in states like Tennessee, where they tried banning um, three elected representatives simply for protesting with young people about gun violence. And you saw the response to that was a huge number of young people turn out and protest. March for Our Lives does amazing work um, mobilizing young people around this issue. But no matter where you come from, this is an issue that hits very close to home because if you haven't experienced a mass shooting drill, unfortunately, you probably know someone who has experienced a mass shooting. And, and it's just one of the most disturbing realities. And I think young people are really fed up with that. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest issues in 2024. Whereas 2022, I think the top issue was abortion. I think 2024, it'll be abortion and gun reform that will be at like top of mind for young people, because this is just a reality that more of us are sick and tired of us. And we want elected officials who will actually care and do something about it. Well, FYI, your parents' generation wants that too. You know, my son's 15. Yeah. He's closer yeah. to your age than he is to mine. And as a parent, it's sickening to send your child yes. out into the world. He yeah. goes to a movie. He goes to a restaurant. He goes to school. And I feel completely yeah. traumatized that he might not come home because of the country I'm raising him in. You know, and so I think that young people, along with the moral, insane rest of us, are very clear about where we stand on the gun violence problem in America. And one party stands with us and one party stands against our desire to do anything about it. And people are, as you said, they're fed up with, they know we don't have to live like this. You know, you guys grew up in an age of mass shootings, but we are living in it with you. And yeah, yeah. it's, it is not normal. You know, we're at 200 mass shootings so far this year, and it's not even June. This is clearly yeah. unsustainable. And if we want to make a change, we have to stop voting for the party that refuses to make a change. Right. And we have to beat that message every single day between now and 2024. Republicans have the power to do this. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, Republicans control what happens in the House. Democrats have been saying time and time again, we will work with you on the issues. And there are solutions. And that is kind of what's also most kind of frustrating about this. There are so many solutions that we can enact that the vast majority of the people agree on. Red flag laws, enhanced background checks, banning semi-assault weapons. I mean, Texas did that recently uh, the other day. They, uh, eight to five in a committee, they voted to... Uh, increase the age of semi-automatic weapons. I mean, these are things that people agree on, that we can find common ground on. The only thing is that we have to come together and actually have elected officials who will find the courage and the spine to do it. And clearly, this Republican Party doesn't have that, because if they did, they would actually do something about it. I mean, how many children, how many people have to die for this Republican Party to do something? And it's like, if they haven't done so yet, they're not going to learn. And they're, the only way that they're going to learn, I think, is by voting them out of office. And so in 2024, I think it's up to all of us to really do our part and vote these people out of office because every one of them faces re-election. Well, if anything, the last election proved that politicians can win on these kind of social issues, right? They can win on abortion. They can win on LGBTQ rights. Um, and I think they can win on gun violence because 
These are all essential human rights, the right to get through your day without dying, the right to have the control over your own body, the right to marry and love who you want to love. These aren't social issues so much as they're as they're human rights issues. And I think we can see now that these are winning issues. You know, it's not, we've been told our whole lives that it's the economy stupid. We have to go yeah, back to the economy. Yeah. We have to talk about inflation. Like this is what we're talking about. But then you look at five states with abortion on the ballot in the midterms, California, Michigan, Vermont, Kentucky, Montana, they all voted to increase access. These are not just all blue states. You know, even as you mentioned, typically conservative Kansas voted in August to keep abortion protections. Voters in Wisconsin, we were just talking about that, voted for the Supreme Court justice who believed in abortion rights over the vehemently anti-abortion justice that would have kept women living under rules from the 1800s, right? We can see these candidates who are unafraid to embrace social issues doing extremely well. And this is an important shift that we have to note. You know, how well the stock market is doing is fundamentally less interesting to the younger generations who often can't even afford housing, let alone to get into the market. So they're more interested in their own personal freedoms and personal rights, right? Look at the entire top of the ticket in Michigan who led with social issues and dominated the results because of it. That was the state with the highest turnout of youth voters. Yeah, we have to, I mean, that's, that's the most important takeaway for me, at least from the past couple of elections. And I was going to mention Wisconsin, Janet Protoswitz. I mean, she ran, I think, a masterclass campaign. The entire Wisconsin Democratic Party, I think, provided a model for the rest of the nation. I think the reason why I think it's twofold. First, like you said, they they weren't afraid to run on issues like abortion and democracy. Those were the two core components of that campaign. And also they did such a remarkable job at actually organizing young voters. They, they've hired, um, this great, uh, youth organizer who uh, led the Wisconsin Democratic Party's youth voter operation, Teddy Landis. He did an incredible job uh, turning out young voters, going on college campuses, meeting young voters where they are. And that's something that Democrats, I think, have traditionally sort of missed, which is that they might spend a couple months before the election organizing young voters, but not the couple months after the election and and throughout um, the election seasons organizing young voters. And it has to be constant. It has to be perpetual um, because young voters need to be engaged constantly with um, the civic process. But I think Wisconsin showed the entire country that you can run on those social issues and win and people care about them. And like you said, I mean, there was once a time where the traditional model for campaigns was, well, we have to focus on economy. We have to focus on kitchen table issues um, like wages and, and jobs. And I'm not saying those aren't important, but you also shouldn't shy away from those social issues like abortion rights, like gun violence, like climate change. I mean, those are really important things that I think a lot of people care about. And um, I hope more candidates do that in 2024. Of course, it's going to be local and, you know, they say all politics is local, but for candidates who are out there who might be hesitant about leading to the social issues, don't be because people do, I think, have an appetite for that. They have a huge appetite for that. And people forget all the time that abortion is an economic issue. Having yes. how yes. many mouths you have to feed at your kitchen table is a kitchen table issue. You know what I mean? If your child makes it home to the kitchen table is a kitchen table issue. You know, these social issues yeah. have been overlooked for so long. And yet this is what makes up the fabric of American life. I mean, Brookings has looked at the U.S. Census data, and they have predicted that by 2028, millennials and Gen Z, which I think you mentioned earlier, will be the majority of potential voters in this country. And then less than 10 years later, those two generations will make up 60% of the entire electorate. Now, that is obviously bad news for conservatives whose policies and politicians are regressive and simply don't appeal to the majority of younger generations, which is why, as we sort of touched on earlier, they are working overtime to suppress your vote. So 
Where are you at with that? Because wherever possible, Republicans are clearly making it harder for the youth of America to vote. And just to give you a little bit of um, kind of a sense of that, I, we we are tracking a lot of these voter suppression efforts. Texas has a bill that would ban every single college uh, polling location on college, uh, college campuses. Florida, other Republican states are increasing the type of IDs that are re- needed to uh, vote, saying that, you know, they once allowed student IDs to be an acceptable form of ID. No, now that's no longer the case. They're trying to limit drop boxes. I mean, the, the type of voter suppression that is happening right now across the country, especially in Republican states, is really disturbing. I think alarming. We have to take that at face value because this is what the Republican Party is trying to do. They saw what we, what we did in 2018 and 2020 and in 2022. And the response to that isn't to meet young voters where we are. The response isn't to listen to young voters or understand our concerns. It's to literally try to suppress our vote. And so for a lot of young people, the, the challenge is now, okay, for a generation that already you know finds it challenging to vote or maybe confusing to vote, we have to give them the the education, the tools needed to register to vote before election day, and then ultimately to give them as many um, resources uh, to vote on election day or before election day. One of the things that we saw happen in 2022 that was remarkable was if you looked at wh- which colleges had the highest youth voter turnout, those colleges also had the most reminders for young people and and reminders of where they should vote, reminders of how they can go register to vote, those reminders do really help. And so we have to really institutionalize these sorts of reminders. And I think that's really important for young voters and getting young voters out there against this backdrop of voter suppression. But I think at the end of the day, it's about empowering young voters and giving us the education that we need to register to vote and also to ultimately go out there and vote. But what Republicans are trying to do is just, I mean, I think they realize that young voters are the single greatest threat to their ability to stay in power. And that's why they spent the past couple of decades really trying to gerrymander votes, really starting to go from state and local elections, rigs the Supreme Court, because if they can do that, then they don't really need um, young voters. But I think the response from us has to be just show up and do the work and then ultimately vote in 2024. I think it's also why they're looking to cut off your communication, right? Like Montana just voted to ban TikTok across the state. Florida banned TikTok on school campuses. It's been banned from government devices. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, just made it so you need to be 18 to use social media. (laughs) And like they're trying to stop you guys from even talking to each other so you can't organize and you can't get people out there to vote and you can't collectively have your voices heard. I mean, the point is they don't like this free flow of information. They don't like the idea that they no longer get to gatekeep your knowledge, that they can ban your books and school. And they can ban what you learn, but they can't ban the internet. So they're trying to like make it a smaller and smaller ways for you to be able to communicate, for you to be able to fundraise, for you to be able to mobilize because you don't do it the way the old fashioned people do it, right? They're not just going to let you grow up and remove them from power. They are working overtime to stop you from being able to take them out. And it is shocking and young people really need to acknowledge that this is happening to them and feel fired up enough to fight back. I mean, it's such a losing strategy. And and when you mentioned, you know, their, their efforts to try to ban TikTok, it's also laughable because you at the same time have people like Kellyanne Conway and Scott Walker from Wisconsin who are on Fox News saying that, oh, well, I mean, the strategy is just to go on these net, these platforms and and tell young people, you know, our messaging. And it's like they, they really do think that I think a lot of people, and especially young people, are dumber than they think. I mean, they think that we're just going to vote for them because they'll go on TikTok and tell us a message and we'll listen to that. I mean, it's, it's laughable on its face. And it's like they don't put 
in the actual work needed to engage young voters. And that's something that I give a lot of credit to this administration, the Democratic Party for doing is that they've actually spent a lot of time trying to listen to young voters, engage young voters in the conversation, bring young voters to the White House to listen to what they have to say, and then ultimately deliver on those issues. The Republican Party just is not doing that. And they think the model going forward for reaching young voters is simply either one, to increase the voting age or to make it harder to vote or to go on TikTok and other social media platforms and simply spew a bunch of BS and nonsense and think that we'll believe it. And it's just like, I don't know who's running their strategy, but it's not going to work for the majority of young voters who are on those social media platforms who can tell what a lie is, who can tell what something fake looks like. And um, just for all those Republicans out there, I mean, I think it's uh, it's a failing strategy, in my opinion. Yeah. Back in the day, people used to say, I don't know, I wouldn't want to have a beer with him or I would want to have a beer with him. It was kind of this like, do I find him authentic? Do I find yes, this exactly. candidate authentic? But young people can see fake coming from a mile away. And yes. so this, uh, we'll just go on TikTok and then the young people will vote for us. That's actually not the way it is at mm-hmm. all. And mm-hmm. you touched on it. You know, conservative pundits and lawmakers are now floating the idea of raising the voting age to 21 in response to the out, you know, outflowing of young generations voting for Democrats. So instead of, as you mentioned, looking around the country and trying to figure out why they're not more popular and changing their positions to appeal to more young people or be authentic with young people, they're doubling down on voter suppression tactics to make sure less young people can vote. And this is the same group of people who think it's fine for a 10-year-old girl to carry a baby to term and become a mother, but they're now saying that 18 isn't old enough to vote. And as far as I can see, most young people think that you should be doing more at 18, not less. I know a lot of young people who don't understand how you can vote or sign up to be the military at 18, but you can't drink until you're 21. Like that feels backwards to a lot of young people. It feels backwards to me and I'm in my 40s, right? Like it just feels incorrect, right? So this idea that we're going to raise the voting age to 21, but you can still fight for your country and die for your country at 18 seems bananas. It is bananas. And it's also, you know, the things that you can do at 18. I mean, you can buy um, a, an AR-15 when you're 18 years old, but they don't want you to vote at 18 years old. I mean, it's like, I just don't understand the logic here. And it's like- There's no I, logic it, here. I just, there is no logic here. And for this Republican Party, they're going to keep doing that. And it's, it's important for all of us to, and especially why I appreciate your voice. I mean, it's important for all of us to just keep on pounding the, the, the table saying, this is what the Republican Party is trying to do. They are shameless about it. I mean, the other week you had um, a bunch of Republican uh, Republicans at this one retreat, and they said out loud that their goal ahead of 2024 is to try to suppress young voters, to limit uh, young voters from accessing drop boxes on college campuses, to make it harder for them to vote by mail, to vote early. So they're trying in every way that they can to to sow this type of um, voter suppression in states across the country. And that's what they're trying to do. And, and that's, I think, the most kind of cynical part about all of this is that they're not trying to do this on the federal level. They're trying to do this slowly and in areas where you're maybe we wouldn't realize that, but they're trying to do it. And they think that's the, the most important takeaway is that this is the Republican Party that in response to young voters turning out, It's not to listen to them. It's to try to make it harder for us to make our voices heard. So we can't talk about the youth of America without talking about the climate and environment we're going to stick them with. And I know you've heard me talk about Lomi before. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps into dirt in under four hours. We know the planet is facing a major crisis. So any steps we can take to limit our family's personal carbon footprint feels essential. 
The bottom line is we all make a ton of food waste. You just don't realize it until you start to use a product like the Lomi. Every vegetable cutting, leftover dinner, dead produce you find in your crisper drawer goes in the Lomi. So instead of ending up in a landfill, releasing methane into the air, it's composted down into nutrient-rich dirt you can feed to your plants or just throw in the garbage. Our family went from three to four bags of garbage a week to one with the Lomi. I can't believe how much we were throwing out before. I keep saying how much I love this machine because it's true. You need to get one. Not because they sponsor this show, but because it's actually an amazing product. And Pila, the company that makes the Lomi, is actually an environmental company who truly believes in helping the planet. That's why the first product they launched was the biodegradable iPhone case. They walk the walk. So if you want to join my family and start making a positive environmental impact in your own kitchen, then head to Lomi.com slash Politics Girl and use the promo code Politics Girl to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash Politics Girl and use the promo code Politics Girl at checkout. Everyone should have one of these machines. I have no doubt if you get one, you will be raving about it too. Today's pod is brought to you by Green Chef. We had Green Chef last night and I was so happy to have it because I am burnt out and the thought of thinking of dinner is almost worse than the making of dinner. I don't have time to shop, but I feel like I have even less time to think. And I don't have to think once I've ordered Green Chef. Here's the thing, if you eat a specific way, like keto, protein-packed, vegan, vegetarian, low-fat, Mediterranean, gluten-free, whatever, they have meals for you, tailored specifically for your type of dietary requirement. My family is currently trying to eat a bit healthier, so we're trying the fast and fit recipes that are under 750 calories and ready in 25 minutes or less. But honestly, it's just nice to have simple meals you didn't have to think about. With Green Chef, you can choose from over 30 weekly recipes with the option to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box. So you can have vegan one day and protein pack the next. They also have something called the Green Market, which is a one-stop shop for quick breakfasts, brunch kits, or wholesome lunches, so you can add more to your weekly order and make it that much easier on yourself. If you'd like to give it a try, go to greenchef.com politicsgirl60 and use the code politicsgirl60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com politicsgirl60 and use the code politicsgirl60. There's a reason Green Chef is called the number one meal kit for eating well. Find out for yourself today. Finally, I'm back to remind you about the amazing benefits of Athletic Greens. We've had AG1 in our lives for almost two years now. It's a simple daily habit that's easy to take on, but makes such a discernible difference to how you feel. You can take it in the morning or afternoon, before working out, or first thing before you start your day. I always felt best when I took it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. I'm someone that never actually responded well to multivitamins or any sort of pills. To be honest, I used to find that when I did start taking a multivitamin, I got sick. And I know that makes no sense and maybe it's in my head, but that was my experience, so I just stopped doing it. But I never felt anything other than great on AG1. AG1 replaces supplements like daily multivitamins and minerals and pre and probiotics. It gives you better gut health, boosts your energy, and supports your immune system. And if I'm being honest, I've always felt like I slept better when I'm on it. 
AG1 is not only the best all-in-one solution for daily nutrition, it saves time, confusion, and money. It's hard trying to figure out your own combination of supplements, and it is expensive to do so. But each serving of AG1 costs less than $3 a day. So if you're looking for a simpler, more cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is gonna give you one free year of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. That's athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. Check it out. I know you won't be sorry. I mean, this attempt to stifle the voices of the youth isn't even a particularly American phenomenon. Older no. people seem mm -hmm. to want to stop younger people from having their voices heard all around the world. They just passed new voter ID laws in the UK that were so incredibly ageist. It was shocking. You know, you can use your travel pass as an ID, but you can't use your rail card as an ID, which was so obviously like, if you're 60, you can vote. And if you're 26, you cannot. But at the end of the day, I mean, good luck with them changing the voting age. This year was the... Yeah. 52nd anniversary of the ratification of the 26th Amendment, which lowered the voting age from 21 to 18. Yeah. And as far as we know, you can't change the Constitution very easily. So yeah. they can talk all they want. But like you said, we have to look at the local levels, the state levels, because that's where they're trying to make all these little difficulties for you guys to get around. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the past 40 years have really been when things have gotten pretty awful. And I was a child when that started, but I am now a grown up, much more so than you. So I would say older generations generations clearly allowed the dangers of gun violence and climate change and wealth inequality to become what feel like almost unsolvable issues in the name of profit or kicking the can down the road. And now the rest of us, especially you guys, are left kind of holding the bag, right? It is your generation. It is my son's generation that are really going to have to feel the effects of the choices that were made. And sometimes I feel like it feels like we're so close to the point of no return on a lot of these issues that it's overwhelming. And I'm sure it makes people want to check out. Do you notice that? I, I think that's one of the biggest things that give me, gives me hope because like you said, there's so much going on right now. There's so much chaos. There's so much vitriol. There's so much just messiness in politics. But this is a generation that has time and time really risen to the occasion, I think. And more than ever before, I mean, you saw us taking to the streets before 2018. You saw us voting. And now more than ever before, you're seeing young people actually running for office and winning office. And I think that's so important. You have people like Maxwell Frost on the federal level. You have other Gen Zers on the state and local levels really representing this generation. And in 2024, we're already seeing a record number of young people uh, running for office, both up and down the ballot. The other day, there's another Gen Zer running for Congress. Now, I think the number is three Gen Zers are running for Congress. There's um, numerous others running for state and local offices. It's just kind of this generation knows that while there's a lot that's messed up, that we know kind of the power that we have and, and the response that needs to happen. And we aren't going to be silenced by Republicans. We are going to keep showing up. And I think that's what gives me a lot of hope is that time and time again, you see what happened in Tennessee, you see what happened in Montana. No matter how much Republicans try to silence our voices, we still keep on showing up. And I think that's what gives me a lot of inspiration. I know that's not going to let up as we uh, head into 2024. Oh, I think that's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. I had a fabulous conversation the other day with uh, my friend's daughter, who is graduating mm -hmm. high school this year. And I was asking her what we could do to inspire young people to come out, to vote, to be engaged. And one of the things she said that I thought was really striking was she's tired of being told that it's all on them to fix. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, 
Yeah, that makes sense, right? Like it's super important you guys are informed and you know things are broken, but we have to be able to mix serious with fun. You know, being young used to be fun. Maybe we need to harp less on your civic duty and more on being part of a group, being part of a community, helping us help you to make a big difference. What do you see works with young people to get them re-engaged? I mean, obviously politics is your jam. You love it, I love it. But most people, not just kids, They don't want to be talking about politics or reading policy, right? But they do want a better world and they do want to belong to groups that accept them. So how do we get them in these groups that will make positive change? Or how do we get them to want to join these groups that will make positive change? Well, well, the person you talk to is right on the head. I, I think one of the biggest things that we see that works best for young people, and like you said, we want to we want to have fun in this process. We don't want to make we don't want to feel like it's up to all of us to solve these issues. I think I think the most important thing is making kind of debunking a lot of kind of what's out there because I think a lot of people look at politics they think it's a complicated, convoluted kind of esoteric process, which which it all is. But the more you can kind of make it fun and make it communal, the better it is. So, for example, um, a lot of groups uh, this past election they did marching to the polls where they found a lot of their friends and they marched together to the polls after they voted they would go out for coffee or they would go out for dinner and make it a fun occasion and i think those things where you can make it fun for young people to go out there and vote and make their voices heard is really important i think also when we talk to young people about politics i think there's a really natural tendency to talk about kind of what happens in dc or what happens on the national level but the most important thing that works with young voters is one having a peer-to-peer conversation or having individual conversations with young voters about what's actually happening in their communities So making it as local, as tangible, as specific as possible gets young voters to realize, um, you know, maybe it is possible for me to make a difference. Maybe it isn't as scary or as um, complicated as I thought. And I think having those kind of individual quality conversations about what young people care about and then giving them a a way forward in a tangible way on the local and state level is, I think, really important for young people to then kind of realize that they can be empowered civically and politically. And then from there, I think it becomes much easier for them to say, okay, like I'm going to go find an organization or a group that I'm passionate about and join that group because now I know that I can actually do it and that my voice matters. And I think I'm kind of getting beyond what happens in national politics, even though I know it's messy and important, but state and local politics and making it as local as possible for young voters, I think goes a long way in inspiring and empowering this generation to kind of realize that change is possible and then ultimately to take action. I think state and local is huge for young voters because I think being part of a community is key. And it's hard to feel part of a community when it's the entire federal system, right? People want to belong. They want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. I think that's why so many people turn to things like church or uh, Mm -hmm. people on college campuses are turning to Turning Point USA or even young men fall into these radical groups or incel communities, right? People who feel isolated or left behind. And then they find this group of people who accept them and tell them that they belong and it fills a hole. It's when those same groups start telling them who to blame for all their problems that things get dicey, right? So we need to offer a counter narrative, a place for people to belong that's hopeful and positive and accepting, right? Like the teenager I was talking to was saying that we need to find a way to make young people feel like they're in the cool group for being dialed in. They're in the cool group for being politically active. She was like, I know this sounds crazy, but 
we really love the I voted stickers. You know, she was like, we love wearing <laughs> yeah, the stickers, yeah. right? It, because we all go like, hey, we're part of this group. You're part of the group. I'm part of the group. Like, it's cool. She's like, we will all come out to protest something. We will all come out to do a blood drive if it comes with some cool exclusive swag, like a weird t-shirt or yes, something else yes. that shows you are part of the group. And she was really clear. She clarified that it wasn't that young people need to be bribed with stuff, but it's like they want to feel like they belonged and that exclusive mm-hmm, stuff that comes mm-hmm. with it makes them feel like they were part of a club and they were appreciated for being there. And I thought, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like people do love those I voted stickers. It makes them feel like you you and me, we're the same. We did the thing, right? With And I think yes. that that is essential, right? Like you guys aren't supposed to be solving the world's problems right now. Like we're not supposed to be giving the world's problems to a bunch of like 25-year-olds, but yeah. we need your help. So we need to be able to yes. mix the serious in with the fun. And maybe local right. and state levels is exactly the place to do that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm in California and, and one of the things I hear a lot from just even people here at UCLA and people who I go to school with is, you know, I'm in this blue state. It's not going to matter on the presidential level. So why should I even bother to vote? Oh, well, I mean, no. <laughs> part of the way that you, re, you reframe that is you say, well, okay, it might not matter on the federal level. I mean, yes, it will matter. But I mean, look at what's happening in your local community. Look at what's happening in your, you know, school board level. Look at what's happening on those levels. And that's what, what I think is most important for young people to kind of realize and understand is, you know, maybe the national politics is messy and maybe it won't matter on that grand scale. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't turn out and vote. And there are a lot of ways you can still make a difference, but it starts on that local and state level, I think, and realizing that you know you might be represented by Democratic senators, but maybe you're represented by a Republican on the local level and they're trying to do something that will make it harder for you to just be a teenager, to have fun, to, to live a normal life. And I think, and I totally agree with um, the teenager you were talking about, the funner we can make elections, the, the better. And that's why I think you're seeing, even on social media, when you go vote, if you post a picture of a selfie during election season, there are stickers that you can post on your stories and and say, you know, I voted, I did this cool thing. And the more we can make civics and politics cool again, I think the more it'll kind of get young people to care about. But I think starting with even groups and, and having high school classes, having college colleges make kind of civics a part of our our life is um, really important. And I think even, you know, I think about U- University of Michigan, Michigan State, what they did ahead of, ahead of election season was they did a bunch of just civic-oriented events. They made it cool for young people to go out there and they gave them swag and they gave them free t-shirts. And that really does, I think, go a long way in, in showing young people that we can have fun in this process too. Yeah. I mean, a lot of political work and donations that young people did this year were on YouTube lives from YouTube streamers and on Twitch and on TikTok. You know, some Mm -hmm. guy raised half a million dollars for the earthquake victims in Turkey by playing a game on Twitch and donating money every time he died. And then people would match it. Right. Like, I would never think like that. And yet that is what your generation. That's why your generation needs to be talking to your generation. That's why we need, you know, voters of tomorrow and all these young groups, because people our age are never going to think like that. We're not going to be like, oh, yeah. Every time you create a new monster in Minecraft to eat this guy, I'll donate money to the, you know, abortion fund. People don't think like that, but your generation really does. And you engage in a completely different way than we used to. And I think that's why young leaders like the Justins in Tennessee or Maxwell Frost or even AOC really appeal to the youth because first of all, these people are closer to their age and they're speaking their language as opposed to speaking politician, they're speaking human. And they understand that people are busy and they have short attention spans and they get right to the point. And I think that's exactly what I try to do with my work. I mean, I speak to all ages, but I started the rants on TikTok in my kitchen to address the youth. I started on TikTok with the whole goal as to find a way into people's 
uh, short attention span. So they go, oh, wait, I do understand that. Because at the end of the day, understanding is the first step to caring. And once you yeah. care, it's hard to disengage yes. because it matters to you. And that's why I admire your work so much. And, and and it's not just kind of young people talking to young people. It's also every generation talking to young people and talking with each other. Those are the type of conversations that we need and people who will create that content, who will just show why we should care about these things. And that's such an important thing that you're doing and that I appreciate so much. But for having those conversations, it's just ha- having not being afraid to have that initial conversation. I think a lot of the tendency from older folks is just, well, you know, you won't turn out to vote or, well, you know, your generation's apathetic. But no, have that conversation understand what young people are thinking and ask them about what matters to them. And I think engaging with young people on those issues goes a really long way. And it's why I think now you're starting to see this new term really being pushed into the political lexicon, which is relational organizing, right? I mean, there was once a time when you used to say, um, or when political campaigns used to just care all about metrics and how many doors you would knock on, how many phone calls you would make. But now it's not so much about the quantity, even though that very much still does matter. It's more about the quality of those conversations and the quality of organizers talking with volunteers and people who they're knocking on doors or calling. That's the type of thing that I think will really move the needle this time around. And we saw that happen in 2022, where those individual conversations, either peer-to-peer or older people with younger people, those individual relational kind of conversations um, are super critical for getting young people to just care about and feel like their voices heard and that they belong in this political process. I think going back to your point about our generation wanting to feel like we're in in this space in a comfortable way, I think relational organizing is one of the best ways you can do that because you start from a place of you know humanity, trying to understand the other person and then giving them an in into this world. And I think um, that's why organizers are so important. And I think that's why all conversations across a generational line um, really needs to happen. Absolutely. I mean, quality is the most important because if you get six people really passionately involved as as opposed to 16 people sort of cursory involved, those six people will go out and talk to six more people who will talk Mm -hmm. to six more people. It's almost like a phone tree of really people who are truly caring about something. And I believe while your generation honestly really has the ability to turn the tide away from these regressive politics and this sort of played out, this is how it's always been way of running the country. Realistically, there needs to be a bridge between what we have now and what I think you guys will usher in. And so provided we don't blow it in the next couple of years and fall down a rabbit hole of like far-right Christian nationalism, I think that is why people like you, young leaders, are supporting candidates like Joe Biden despite the understandable call for younger leadership. I feel like you guys understand the need to be incredibly practical right now, very focused on long-term goals and knowing that we're not getting any of those long-term goals if we don't keep the presidency, hold the Senate and flip the House in 24. Yeah. And one of my favorite sayings that I think we all need to say more of that President Biden often says, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. And I think for young people, for anyone really out there, I mean, that's, that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. You know, you might complain about President Biden's age. You might say he's too old, but what is the alternative to President Biden? There is none. The alternative is the Republican party and Donald Trump. And if we elect that party, if we elect Donald Trump, we're going to end up probably without a democracy in, in four years from now. And so the alternative is, is really, I mean, there is no alternative. So the, the, at the end of the day, no matter what complaints you have about President Biden, you have to be practical and say, look, it's not been a perfect administration. No administration is. But what President Biden and his administration have been able to accomplish for young people and just the American public in general has been nothing short of remarkable. And that's one of the things I wish got more attention from the mainstream media is like he's gotten past some really remarkable things. I mean, for young people, the largest investment in climate change through, through, through the Inflation Reduction Act, canceling student loan forgiveness, uh, student loan debts for a large 
segment of the population, confirming the first ever uh, black female Supreme Court justice, enacting an historic common sense gun reform legislation. I mean, these are all things that this administration has done. And, and it proves to young people that they actually care about us. And the Republican Party doesn't. But I think for a lot of young people who kind of look at this system that we're in now in 2024, it's, you know, President Biden m- might not be perfect. But at the end of the day, we realize what is practical and what is pragmatic for this situation. And at the end of the day, it's Joe Biden. And I think um, Vice President Harris also has a huge role to play in this. There was a new poll that I found last week that showed more than 60% of young people support Vice President Harris, which is 25 points higher than older generations. And I say, and I think having Vice President on the Harris is so important because it kind of rep- shows us that first, President Biden cares about having someone who is younger, who is more diverse on the ticket, but also she's really done the work needed to earn our votes. I mean, you see who was the first person to go to Tennessee after Justin Pearson and Justin Jones were expelled. It was Vice President Harris. Who was the person who really engaged women and young people around abortion rights? It was Vice President Kamala Harris. And she's really done the work. And I think having her name on that ticket shows young people that this administration cares about younger, more diverse um, leaders in office. And Kamala Harris is so good at that. And also just as a final note, this administration also, when you look at their staff in this and and kind of who serves under this administration it's younger it's more diverse it's more female it's it's more it, it's more lgbtq plus than ever before and one of my favorite sayings of the presidential personnel office i was there over the summer and um one of the things they always say is people are policy and this is an administration that really centers people they try to try to bring younger people into the fold they try to bring more women into the fold and it really goes a long way in showing young voters that maybe you know president biden might be old but he also really centers a a lot of young voices. And that I think is is why you're seeing young voters at the end of the day saying we are going to support Joe Biden. Yeah. What I try and remind people all the time is the president is just one job. Yes, it's just one yes. role. It's who you have in your cabinet. It's who you have as your staff. It's who you have in Congress that really are going to change what's going on. So the president in this case, despite his age, Biden is actually the most progressive, fair, forward-thinking yes, president America's yes. ever had. His climate initiatives, his support for the LGBTQIA community, the Build Back Better plan, which we didn't get. But when you look at it, you're like, holy hell, he's yeah. really looking out for us, you know? But it's the people he surrounds himself with. It's the young people that are on his teams writing this legislation for climate initiatives and for fairness and for civil rights. It is not just one person you're electing. It's one person who will hire all the people that come underneath him. And we give him a Congress and we give him local state legislatures that will push these things that we actually want. You want things to be more progressive? That's fine. It's not the president that's going to make that happen. The president is the figurehead and everything flows from underneath him. So I, I mean, it's just so essential because at the end of the day, the two parties are not they're no longer two sides of the same no. coin. Mm-mm. They are two entirely different currencies, and we need to understand that. Yeah, there's just no comparison. When you look at, I mean, Donald Trump as a front runner in the Republican Party, just twice impeached, formerly indicted, now liable for sexual sexually assaulting Eugene Carroll. I mean, there's just no comparison that you can make between Joe Biden and and Donald Trump. Their characters just could not be more different, and and just not even kind of beyond character. I mean, what they were able to do for the American people. I mean, Donald Trump saying that you know those who come from other countries come from whole countries, or um, Donald Trump giving the wealthy tax breaks and not doing really anything that will benefit the American people. I mean, it's just just so different. That's a contrast. And that's why I think President Biden's message of, you know, don't compare me to the perfect I and mean, compare me to the alternative, which is Donald Trump. And um, I think as long as he runs on that message, it's going to be, I think, I think it'll really resonate with a lot of people. No politics is a direct shot. You know, I love the yeah, comparison yeah. that it's like a bus route. You get on the bus that's going closest to where you want to go. 
And I think right now there is no choice in the matter. If you want a free and fair democracy, that's the Democratic Party. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Victor. Are there any actions you want us to take so we can be part of the solution for America for young people? Or what do you want us older folks to be doing to help you out? Give us a sense of that before you go. So leave us with something we can do, the action. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I would say there, there are a couple of things. First is, like I said earlier, just not being afraid to have those conversations with, the, with young voters. Sit them down at a dinner table, sit them or call them, ask them what they're doing and, and give them as many resources as possible uh, to know how to register to vote, to know how to vote early, to know what, where to vote, when to vote. Those are really important. And I think doing a lot to support Gen Z-led organizations. There are so many of them out there. There are more issue-specific ones like March for Our Lives, Sunrise Movement that are led by young people really doing amazing work around specific issues. But there are also more kind of broadly um, other organizations that are doing a lot of mobilization work. So finding maybe a youth democratic party in your uh, county or in your state, that will go a long way. Voters of Tomorrow does a lot of work around um, calling people, doing canvassing um, around that. Gen Z for Change is doing amazing work on social media. So following as many youth-led organizations, I think really important. And then just kind of just not being afraid to fight back. I think we're in this moment where we have a Republican Party that is so shameless, that is so ruthless. And for all of us, we all have a power in this. And that's why I appreciate what you do so much. Um, you have such an important and powerful voice. And for everyone listening, so do you, because this is ultimately um, kind of our country and we all have a platform and we all have a way to make our voices heard. So make it heard. And I think that will, will really inspire others to do the same. So um, that's that's kind of sort of my uh, three biggest uh pieces of advice I could give uh, to your listeners. Yeah, make it heard. Don't be afraid to have a conversation with these young voters and support these organizations that support the youth. Um, Because ultimately, as Whitney said, you know, the children are our future. So teach them well and let them lead the way. (laughs) Yes, yes. Thank you, Victor. So that was Victor Shee reminding us to reach out to young voters. We've put a lot on their shoulders by breaking this country and then looking to them to fix it but I believe they're up to the challenge. We just need to support them. As Victor said, the future is about relational organizing, creating community for these kids to find a place in, a sense of belonging in an environment of hope and power. We need to fund their organizations and speak up for their futures by listening to them all year long, not just right before an election. The youth of America really can make America great. We just need to protect the country's democracy long enough until they have enough power to do it. I want to thank Victor for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PGM. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.